You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're back in Genesis this morning. Last week we looked at the account of the the narrative, the beginning of the great flood, and we saw uh, how God's judgment on the wicked uh, came, but not without warning. And uh, God is our judge, folks, he, but he's a merciful judge because he, he, gave, he gives us a warning and he provides a means for escape. And it's our choice if we take it or not. That was the message from Genesis 7. In Noah's day, the vast majority of mankind chose not to take God's way of escape of the judgment. And it cost them their lives. But there was another set of people, though, that did take the, the way of escape. And they got on the ark. And their faith, they placed their faith in God's escape plan. Noah and his family, they were righteous. And it spared them from the judgment of God by getting on the ark. But just because, though, and we think, well, maybe then after they got on the ark, then it was smooth sailing. But I, I want to look today on, on the, at the fact that there were still some lessons for Noah to learn on the ark. It wasn't all easy. As a matter of fact, what they faced after being spared from judgment could have seemed as difficult as judgment itself because their faith was being tested. And while they were there on the ark, they were learning important lessons about trusting God and placing their faith in God and believing that God was still working even though it wasn't obvious. And I want to read Genesis, uh, parts of Genesis 7 and 8 this morning. If you're, if you're able and capable of doing it, would you please stand out of respect of reading God's word? And we'll read some verses out of Genesis 7. Actually, I want to start in 7.1 and then go up to chapter 8. It says in Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female, of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days, in seven days, I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. That's Noah's instruction. Look down in chapter 8. And God remembered Noah. Remember, he's been on the ark. God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were, were stopped and the rain from, the, from heaven was restrained and the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of the 150 days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. 
Also, he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the earth or face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot and she returned unto him in the ark, into the ark for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet other seven days. And again, he sent forth the dove out of the ark and the dove came into him in the evening and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So no one knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet another seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. And it came to pass in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark. Thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee, bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said, it in, said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. What we have here is an example of a man choosing to have faith well past when he originally thought he would need it. See, 40 days of judgment turned into over a year on the water. And Noah had to choose to trust that God was still in control. Even when God's, his expectations and God's plans didn't line up. I'm titling the message today, After 40 Day Faith. After 40 Day Faith. Let's pray. Father, pray that you bless the reading of your word. Open our minds, illumine the word to us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. In September of this year, I, was, I read a headline and I looked into it and it, it seemed accurate. Although when I first read it, I thought, surely that's not the case. But this headline in September said that over 300,000 industry cruise workers were still stuck at sea due to COVID-19. That's in September, just two months ago, folks. Most of them had been on those cruise ships for over six months. And my wife and I, we took a cruise once and, and it, it was a great vacation. I'd love to do it again. But six months in that condition is not my idea of a good time. So now then, so think about that. These cruise workers, they, they got on their boats and maybe they spend 
a few months at a time working, but, but they're able to get off at ports and, and things like that. But, but for six months, because of COVID-19, they were stuck on these cruise ships. And it just seems like that would feel like an eternity. Well, now multiply that by two. Now we're at 12 months. And now uh, make the vessel you're on a wooden vessel with thousands of animals and poor ventilation. Are you imagining that now? Well, now you're talking about Noah and his family on the ark in Genesis 8. Just imagine it. I want to read just some of the, the, the timeline here so we get an idea of just how long this this process was for them. Look at Genesis 7, verse 11. It says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day where all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. That basically means the rain began. And, and this, there's not a real uh, direction as to what calendar Moses was referring to when he wrote Genesis. Um, but so we're going, we're assuming as many do that the calendar is based on Noah's life. And so in, it says, when it says in the 600th year, we assume that means when Noah was 600 years old. And let's just say that Noah was born on January 1st and his birthday is January 1st. So he turns 600 on January 1st. Well, in February, specifically on February 17th, the second month, the 17th day, that's when the, the, the rain came and the floods came up. So in Noah's 600th year, second month, 17th day, that's when the flood began. Look at verse 12, 7, 7, 12. It says, and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so they go into the ark. And remember at the beginning, there's a seven day waiting period. And God said, go on the ark and wait and the rain will come. So they get on the ark, the rains come. And for 40 days and 40 nights, the rain comes down and the floods came up. We could sing the song if you want to. If I feel like I'm losing you, maybe we'll just stop and sing it. The rains came down and the floods came up. Okay. So, or maybe you say, yeah, don't do that. We'll just stay awake. Okay, that's fine. So 40 days and 40 nights, it's a little over a month now on the ark. Look down at chapter 7, verse 24. It says, and the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. Look down in chapter 8, verse 3. And the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of the 150 days, the waters were abated. So the waters, they, for 40 days and 40 nights, there was really no sign of retreat. And I don't even know if there was so much a sign of retreat after 150 days necessarily. We just know that after 150 days, the waters began to retreat. And if, if my math is correct, that's about five months, 150 days. The language here, when it says that it was assuaged or it started to continually um, abate, that this, there was a point that the waters went from rough and chaotic to calm. After the initial chaos of the flood, everything seemed to stop and stand still after a number of months. Look at chapter 8, verse 4. It says, And the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. So this is five months after the rains came down and the floods came up. So they've been on the ark for about five months. And after those five months, the ark comes to rest on something solid. Okay? So you'd have to imagine that Noah is thinking, okay, we're about done. We're, we're finally stopped going back and forth and we're stopped. The waves are, are, not, are no longer tossing us to and fro. 
we're resting here. We'll look at verse 5. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month on the first day of the month were the tops of the mountain seen. So the ark comes to rest in the 7th month. But it's not until almost 3 months later on the first day of the 10th month that they can finally start to see the tops of the mountains. So at this point, they're about 8 months on the ark. Verses 6 through 12, uh, and I'm not going to recount these necessarily, but these tell the story of Noah taking a raven and opening the window and sending the raven forth. And then he takes a dove and sends a dove forth. At first, the dove comes back and finds no rest. The second time the dove goes out and comes back, he's got an olive leaf. By the way, you always kind of see these pictures of a dove with an olive branch. The Bible says an olive leaf. I don't know if that matters to you, but I just thought, in my mind, I've always pictured a twig or a branch but it just says a leaf. So it comes back and that's a sign the waters are abating. The third time the dove leaves and the dove doesn't come back. That process takes another couple months. We get down to verse 13. Look at 8.13. And it came to pass in the 601st year. In the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth. And Noah removes the covering from the ark. So now we're in Noah's 601st year. If his birthday is January 1st, just for our calendar's sake, they went into the ark his 600th year, February 17th. Well, now we're in his 601st year. It's January 1st, we'll say, of the following year, and they're still on the ark. Now, it does say the waters were dry. Noah removes the covering. He sees dry ground. And then look down in verse 14. In the second month, on the 7th and 20th day of the month, was the earth dried and God spake unto Noah and that's when he said go forth from the ark so we started if for instance on February 17th of Noah's 600th year now we're in Noah's 601st year it's a year later it's the second month verse 14 the 27th day of the month so if he went into the ark and again we're just speculating if we went if he went into the ark on February 17th of one year it wasn't until February 27th of the next year that Noah and his family were finally able to leave the ark. So consider this. Noah and his family got in the ark on one year. Over a year later, they're getting off. And it may not seem like a huge deal to you and I. Because, hey, at least they were saved from the flood. But I want to remind you of something very important that we can't miss in Genesis 7, chapter 4. Look back at it. Genesis chapter 7, verse 4. He says, For yet seven days, or in seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth. You give me the time frame. How much? Forty days and forty nights. Think about it. Noah was told that judgment would be 40 days and 40 nights. When Noah first entered the ark, he prepared, I think probably in his mind, I would have, he's preparing for 40 days. And yet the time frame goes much longer than 40 days. See, sometimes we, we tend to choose our level of faith. They, and I'm just going to get right into it here, so hope you're ready. Sometimes we tend to choose our level of faith based on our expectations of God. See, we think 40 days, I can do that. 40 days, if God will do things that way, I'll trust him, 40 days. 
So we, place our, we, we end up placing limitations on our faith or conditions are on God based on our expectations. And when God tells Noah 40 days and 40 nights for judgment, if it was me, I'd be thinking, okay, I can do anything for 40 days. That's just a little over a month, uh, I, but I think we can survive that. But what do you think was going through Noah's mind 340 days later? See, I know what I might have been thinking. I might have been thinking something like, God must have forgotten about me. This isn't what I signed up for. God's timing can't be right because it's not matching up with my expectations. When God said 40 days and 40 nights, that's all I was obligated for. The rest of this is a mistake. I don't think there's any, I don't think it's any accident that the first four words of chapter 8 say, and God remembered Noah. Because in my mind, if I was Noah, I would be thinking that God had forgotten about me. Forty days turns into over a year. And many of us tend to throw in the towel when God's plans don't meet our expectations. And maybe there's a situation at work and you thought it would be over by now, but it's still going on. Maybe there's somebody at work, a person at work, and you just cannot get along and you thought it would be temporary. And now months later, there's still a blessing in your life. And it just keeps going. And you think, well, it's still going, so God must have forgotten. There's some circumstance that was supposed to be temporary and it just won't go away. And maybe you've got some financial troubles. And so we say, well, God's supposed to fix this. He promises to take care of these and he hasn't. So I'm not going to give again until he does. Or maybe there's a sickness of a loved one and that's all too common these days. And you say, I've prayed and he hasn't answered. He's obviously forgotten about me, so, so I'm done praying. Or maybe there's a wayward son or daughter and you said, you say, well, the Bible said if we raise our children in the way that they should go when they're old, they won't depart, but they departed. So does God no longer keep his promises? See, we operate with 40 day faith because those are our expectations. But God may asking, may be asking for 375 day faith because that fits his plans. And we have to decide, folks, what we're going to operate by. Am I going to submit and operate to my expectations? Or am I going to submit and operate to God's plans? See, let me remind you of a few things. God's ways first. God's ways are higher than ours. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Before you put your expectations and God's plans on a balancing scale, let me remind you that God's plans are far superior than your expectations. He sees what we don't. And we may see what's right in front of us, but God has a much broader view. And as I was trying to think about how to describe this, I imagine that our life or our view of life is what we can see through a keyhole. You ever tried to peer through a keyhole? It used to be, you know, when the keyholes were bigger in the old time doors and you kind of get your, your eye down there and you can look through the keyhole and you, you think it's cool as a kid because you can see into the next room and you're, you're being a spy. So you're looking in, into the next room. But, you know, if you really think about it, you have a very limited uh, viewpoint. There's a very limited perspective. And so life, the way that we live our life almost really is like looking through a keyhole. 
And we're looking through the keyhole and we think we see things really clearly. And yet God stands over the house and he has the roof removed. His view is from the top. And he doesn't just see the room we're in. And he doesn't just see the room we're looking in. He sees every part of the room we're looking in. And he sees the room after that. And he sees every window along the way. And he sees every door in the house. And he sees every exit in the house. And we think that we see things more clearly because we have a view through the keyhole. And yet God has the roof off of the house and he sees every step of the way. He sees every room. He sees every obstacle. See, we might be looking, we see through the keel and we think, well, this, oh, I see clearly. I know exactly what should happen. But you can't even see what's right there in front of the door. It may be an obstacle that you wish you would have avoided. And we sometimes tend to think that our view through the keyhole is superior than God's view from the top. Not only are his ways higher than ours, but folks, we have to remember he always desires to do what's best for his children. Jeremiah 29 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God's not looking to trip you up and make you miserable. What may seem like the best way forward for you as you peer through the keyhole may actually be a pitfall. It may actually be a trap that you don't see. God wants the best for us and he hasn't left us to ourselves. But sometimes God puts us in a position where we need after 40 day faith. When our plans fail and our expectations are disappointed, when it all falls apart... We must choose to continue to trust that God has not forgotten us. He remembers. He sees. And he has a better plan. Listen, the entire account begins with those four unmistakable words. And God remembered Noah. This doesn't imply that Noah had slipped from God's mind. No, God wasn't on the golf course and he gets an alert on his phone and suddenly remembers, oh yeah, Noah, on the ark. That's not the way it works. The the language there is implying that when it came time for God's plan to begin moving forward again to fulfill his expected end, then he started moving it forward again. It wasn't that God forgot Noah. Isn't that God, uh, Noah was not on God's mind. It just wasn't time. And Noah had to remember that God remembers. And God has a plan. And God's plans are better than my expectations. And I wish that was the outline. It's not, but I think it's good. God remembers and God has a plan. And God's plans are better than my expectations. And sometimes when life isn't going your way and things are not going the way you want them to, you have to stop and remember that God remembers you. And God has a plan. And God's plans are better than your expectations. So just have after 40 day faith. Because he's doing something. He's still working. He still cares about you. And we tend to view any gap between our expectations and God's plans as a disappointment. We say, well, this was my expectation, but this was God's plan. But we have to believe that God's plans are never disappointments. Rather, they are opportunities for God to do greater work in our lives than we expected. Because of that, there will be times when we must simply choose to exercise after 40-day faith. When we have to remember that God remembers. 
And that God has a plan. And that his plans are better than mine. And when we're in that position, I want to give you some simple things to remember today. Three things to remember to help you have after 40-day faith. And I think these would be worth at least writing down or maybe if you've got in mind like a steel trap, unlike mine, then just remember them. But I think they'll be a help to you. Three things to remember to help you have after 40-day faith. The first is this, believe God is working even if you can't see it. The first is believe God is working even when or if you can't see it, believe he's working. See, according to this text, we're given no evidence that God spoke to Noah from the time that the rain began until it was time to get off the ark. We're not giving any evidence Okay, we could go back to chapter 7, verse 4, and we could see God said, I'm going to judge the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, but before you think that's a stretch, uh, but, but we get to Genesis chapter 8, and we're not told that God's giving any more instructions. And you say, well, that's a stretch. I, I don't know that I believe that. Well, consider this. Noah was using a raven and a dove to determine the situation outside the ark. If God had been communicating with Noah, if God had been giving Noah instructions, if God had been saying, okay, here's what's happening, here's the timeline, here's what's going on. If God had been communicating with Noah like he was at first, Noah wouldn't have needed to send a raven outside the ark. He wouldn't have needed to send a dove outside the ark to find out if the, if the ground is dry. See, at first, God gave Noah very specific instructions. And according to chapter 6, verse 22, Noah did all that God commanded of him, everything. And listen, folks, it's easy to obey when things are clear and obvious, but it's not as easy when it feels like God's not working. There will be times in your life, as there have been times in my life, when it seems like God is not moving, that God is not speaking, that God is not leading, and it's not obvious that he's, in, that he's doing anything. And again, the last word we're told of God from God to Noah is in chapter 7, verse 4, when God said, I'm going to send 40 days and 40 nights of judgment, and then nothing for months. Noah may have thought nothing was happening. The rain had, had stopped after 40 days, but there's still water on the earth for 150 days. And yes, the waters had become still, but it's, that's different than a strong current, but that's not real active. I mean, just because the wind and the waves stops and just because the waves aren't rolling and it's not moving and you're still, it doesn't point to clear signs that God's really doing something. No, you're just sitting still. And when, when the ark comes to rest on, on something solid, uh, then yeah, that's good. And it feels like something different, but that doesn't mean it's still obvious that God is working. That just means now we're stuck here and we're stopped and we're not moving. And if you think about it, if they stopped somewhere around the seventh month on the top of a mountain, that doesn't even mean they could see the mountain because it's a big boat. And there's a lot of water, a lot of boat underneath the water. So they came and they hit something solid and they're stuck there. But it doesn't say that they could see mountaintops for another two and a half months. So yes, things are different. And yes, the chaos or the waves aren't as strong, but they're just stuck. There's no movement. It's like the Flintstones in the car and the, the, the feet are turning, but the car's not going anywhere. I wish I could make a better sound than that. That was embarrassing. Can we cut that part out of the live stream? 
No, keep it. It'll come back to haunt me later. You ever feel that way in your Christian life, though? It's like, okay, at least things aren't chaotic, but I also don't feel like God's doing anything. I'm just stuck here, and I'm, I'm resting here, and yes, this is less scarier than the big waves, but nothing's happening. And it's in those times, I mean, for Noah, that the waters, they were decreasing, sure, but not quickly. And if everything's water, how can you tell that water's decreasing? If you don't have anything to judge it by, and you're just stranded there, and it doesn't seem like anything's happening, you tell me if you wouldn't be discouraged, because I probably would be. Because remember, this all started as 40 days and 40 nights. And I imagine there had to be days and weeks or even months in the process that Noah could have thought, is God working? Has God forgotten about me? See, when it's not obvious, we might tend to assume that God has forgotten. But folks, I'm here to tell you that's not true at all. That the water was retreating. It may not have been obvious to Noah, but the water was moving. God God was just working behind the scenes, which is the way that he often does. You think about Moses, who wrote this account and wrote it down for 40 years. Moses was in the desert being prepared to go back into Egypt and take the children of Israel out of slavery. But the children of Israel for those 40 years, they didn't know that was happening. And their cry went up to heaven and they were essentially saying, where is our deliverer? Has God forgotten about us? I think about the Jews in the New Testament. You know, for 30 years, Jesus Christ was there. He was growing up in a carpenter's home. Nobody even knew he was the Messiah, but they were under Roman rule. And they were saying, where is the Messiah? Has God forgotten about us? Well, he hadn't. He was just working behind the scenes, which is how God often works. He doesn't always do things obviously. He doesn't always do things in such a way that says, oh, that's clear what he's doing. No, he does things in such a way that require us to have faith. His ways are not our ways. And just because it's not obvious doesn't mean God's not working. I've seen it in people's lives countless times and you think God's just not getting through to them and their heart is hardened and and they're not coming back and they just don't want anything to do with God but you don't realize the circumstances in their lives that they're not telling you about and suddenly someday they come walking back through the doors and you realize, hey, God doesn't do things my way but that's okay because he works behind the scenes. See, listen, he has enough interest in your life that he's doing something right now. Don't throw in the towel before he's done working. You might miss out on what he wants to do. Which leads to the second thought to have after 40-day faith. The first is believe God's working even if you can't see it. And number two, take steps as if God will keep his promises. Take steps as if God will keep his promises. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, what did Noah do during this silent period? They rested, they're sitting on the mountain, nothing seems to be happening. They finally see mountaintops, but what does Noah do? No, in verse 6, look what it says. It came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window. See, Noah opened a window and he sent out a raven. In other words, even though Noah didn't have confirmation from the Lord himself, he believed God's promise that he and his family would be preserved. 
He knew God was still working. He, had, he knew that it might be behind the scenes and it's not obvious, but God is doing something. In chapter 6, God had told Noah he would establish his covenant with Noah. See, Noah knew that, that to mean God would use Noah to preserve his people on the ark and through those people that God would eventually then produce the promised Messiah in Genesis 3. That's the covenant. God, but you realize, God never gave Noah instructions after the flood. God never gave Noah a timeline. God never said, okay, in seven days, the rain's going to come for 40 days of judgment. But Noah, listen, you're going to be on that ark for over a year. And on this day, I'll come to you. And that's when you know you're supposed to take a step off. God never told Noah that. He didn't make anything clear except you're supposed to get on the ark. He never told him how he's supposed to get off the ark. So Noah, he hasn't heard from God. Things aren't really obviously working, but he believes God's promises enough to know that God is doing something. And listen, we have many more of God's promises to go on in this book, and yet we struggle to operate as if God's word is true. See, when we struggle to obey God's word in simple things, it's a sign that we don't truly believe that God keeps his promises. When we threat, when we, when we, uh, when we fret over tithing, basic obedience, it's a sign that we, when we fret over it, it's a sign that we don't truly believe God's promise that he'll provide for our needs if we seek his kingdom first, like he says in Matthew 6. And when we, and we, we let fear dictate our, how we live our lives, which is happening in a lot of Christians' lives right now. But when we let fear dictate how we live our lives, it's because we don't trust God's promise that he's with us and he'll strengthen us and he's there to help us according to a verse like Isaiah 41.10. And when we turn to self-help instead of God's word to improve our lives, it's because we don't really believe God's promise that his word is all a Christian needs to be complete and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Like 2 Timothy 3 says, but we turn to a lot of other things because we don't truly believe that God's word is all we need to be what we're supposed to be as a Christian. Yeah, we have God's complete revelation and we have promises on a page. So why do we struggle to believe his promises? Well, it's time to operate as if they're true. You know what? In Noah's terms... It may be time for you to open a window. See, Noah could have sat huddled in the ark until God came speaking. He could have sat pouting in the corner and saying, where is God? He forgot about me. I'm not doing anything else until he comes to talk to me. No, but he opened a window because he knew enough of God to know how he works. See, God may not have made the escape from your problem clear. But you have enough promises from his word to know it's probably time to open a window and operate as if he keeps them. Take a step of faith, friend. Take a step. If God's word indicates that being, and I'm just going to throw it out there, if God's word indicates that being part of a New Testament church is his plan for every believer to grow up into Christ and to become what he or she ought to be, maybe it's time to open a window and get all in with a church family. Open a window. And before long, you'll be taking bigger steps. Noah opened a window and down in verse 13, the next thing he knows, verse 13, it came to pass, look at it, in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the face of the ground was dry. 
You say, well, what does that mean? Well, I mean, there, it's, there are different interpretations of that, but there must have obviously been a covering over the ark to protect the ark. You say, well, that's a big boat. How would they make a covering that big? Well, they had 120 years, okay? So the, it could have been a pretty big covering. So there's a covering. Go, Moses, Noah starts, Moses, I knew I was going to do that. Noah opens a window at first. Well, now he's ready to take another step. So he removes the covering. You know what he's saying? He said, God, I know the, the rain is done. I know you're about to do something different. You're about to make a change. So he took a, a bigger step. And if you'll just take a small step of faith and operate as if God keeps his promises, pretty soon you're going to be taking a bigger step. See, friend, it starts with salvation. It starts with salvation. You have to admit that you're a sinner and believe there's no hope in yourself to spend eternity with Christ in heaven, but to believe that he died on a cross to save you from your sins. If you will simply receive his payment for your sins and receive him as your savior, you can spend eternity in heaven with God. But the reason that you haven't taken more steps of faith as a Christian is because you haven't started way back at the beginning with the window. You've never received Christ as your Savior. And because of that, you haven't taken the next steps on your journey. But listen, once you receive Christ as your Savior, and then you take the next step, which is baptism. Every Christian, every, every Christian that gets saved ought to get into the baptistry because it's a step of obedience. It lets other people know what's happened to us on the inside. I'm saved. And it also identifies you with a local church body, which in our case would be Eastside Baptist Church. So salvation is the window, but baptism is the next step. And after that, it's discipleship where you grow and you start becoming more like Jesus Christ. And then you find a place to serve in a local New Testament church body. And then after you've served for a while, then you might even find yourself in a leadership position, helping other people along like that. And you're reaching out and you're telling people about Christ and you're winning folks to Christ and discipling them. And then you find yourself in a position where you're making a difference and you're investing in other people's lives. But if you'd have never started back here where you just opened the window to start the process, you'll never end up over there where you're making a difference in people's lives. It starts with opening a window and it's time for somebody in this room today to say, I want to start, I want to take a step of faith. I don't know if God's working. It's kind of hard to tell, but I do believe he'll keep his promises. And so I'm going to open a window and I'm just going to see what he does next. It all starts with the courage to open the window. And a month and a half later, and we're not going to look into all of it, Noah and his family are walking off the ark. Noah believed God was working even when he couldn't see it. He opened a window and he was willing to take steps as if God keeps his promises. And the next thing you know, him and his family and all the animals, they're walking off the ark on the dry, dry ground again. It's a new start. And it all started... With an open window. Finally, after believing God was at work and operating on his promises, Noah shows us the most important factor in after 40 day faith. And that is this make your relationship with God your priority. Believe God's working even though it's not obvious. Operate as if he keeps his promises and just stay close. Make your relationship with God your priority. Look at the culmination of Noah after, 40, after his after 40-day faith. Look at verse 20, chapter 8, verse 20. 
After they get off the ark, what's the first thing Noah does? It says, and Noah built an altar under the Lord. Verse 21, and the Lord smelt that a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I'll not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. Listen, Noah's decision to prioritize his relationship with God is a sign that he never lost his faith. The first thing he did, folks, the first thing he did coming off the ark was worship. And this sweet act of worship and closeness with God, it was something Noah would have never enjoyed had he stopped believing and stopped obeying somewhere along the way. See, when we believe and we obey God, there are no words to describe the sweetness of the relationship enjoyed afterwards. You know, there's plenty of work to do. There's plenty of work to do coming off the ark. I mean, the animals were scattering and I mean, I don't know, is it, where are they going? I mean, what are they going to do? Where are they going to live? What's going to happen? But Noah knew God came first. And that sweet act moved God to make another promise to not curse the end, uh, the, the earth again like he had. And he was going to send seasons as a way to remind us that he's faithful. There's a lot we could look at there, but our lesson is this. The most important priority you have is how close you are to God. The best way to ensure that you have after 40 day faith is to stay as close to God as possible. It's amazing how many people dismiss their relationship with God in the toughest seasons. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to somebody who's going through something difficult. And and I asked them, how is your walk with the Lord? And they said, well, it just got so hard, I just gave up on that. The last thing you should do in a tough season is withdraw from God. The last thing that you can afford to do in a difficult time of your life is take a step back from your closeness to God. It's the worst decision you can make. The most obvious proof of after 40 day faith is how close you are to God. Don't give God 40 days and say, that's it, I'm out. You didn't do what I expected. Uh, I know it, listen, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know there are seasons of life that you think are just not going to end. But I beg you, don't withdraw. Draw near. Don't back up. Look up. When you don't have answers, how much sense does it make to pull back from the one who has the answers? You want sweet fellowship even when you don't have answers? Build an altar. Get close to God. Worship the Lord. Get in God's word. Take time in prayer. Get into a prayer closet. If you have to, take a day off work and go to the mountains, wherever there's mountains around here. Go find a spot where there's nobody else in a cornfield. And just you and that pheasant just have sweet fellowship. The last thing you should do when things are difficult is withdraw listen the it should be your first priority your closeness to God yet it's amazing how many Christians let other things come in between their walk with God they sleep in I'm guilty of it too sometimes and so for the day they don't spend any time with God and you never know what ark you're going to find yourself on on any given day you need God Things get hard and they stop coming to church. 
the time in their life when they need to be closer to God than they've ever been because it's a difficult season and suddenly you don't see him anymore. And the Bible sits on the shelf or on the dashboard of their car and collects dust or gets just wrinkly in the sun. And when somebody needed God more than anything, they they backed off. Listen, let me tell you this. You may think when things are hard that God doesn't care and he doesn't want a relationship with you anyway, but that's not true. The sweetest fellowship you'll ever have is during the toughest times you'll ever face. The sweetest fellowship you'll ever have is during the toughest times you'll ever face. And I'm just telling you, yesterday I was sitting around the table with the Halverson family. And there's six grown children and their spouses all around the table. And you know what? There was, there was some emotion, but most of it, you know what it was? It was joy. Just thinking about the memories thinking about the kind of man that Kurt Halverson was, because he was a good, godly Christian man. He had children all around that table who who had nothing. They didn't have regrets. Their memories were joyful and happy. And they were thankful that, that, that God had given them a dad like Kurt Halverson. And it's in the hardest times that sometimes we enjoy the sweetest fellowship. It was just an example to me yesterday. When the world would be suffering, somebody without Christ would be at a total loss and probably have nothing to say, wouldn't even get, be able to gather their emotions. Here's a group of people who know that their, their dad is in heaven. And the fellowship they enjoyed during the tough time was as sweet as anything I've seen. Listen, when your expectations and God's plans don't line up, the three things you need to do is you need to believe God and open a window and build an altar. That's after 40-day faith. And you say, well, when will it end? Well, I don't know. For some people, it never ends. I was thinking about the Apostle Paul this morning. He had a thorn in the flesh, and he asked God to take it away. And God said, no, I'm going to let you have it through the rest of your life, because by having this thorn in the flesh, it, 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 it makes you depend on me every day for my sufficiency and my grace. I can't make promises that God will ever make the difficulty in your life end. But I can tell you, he'll be everything you need him to be while you're on the ark. The only promise we have that when our faith can come to an end is when we see Christ and our faith becomes sight. And if that's how far it goes, folks, even if we never leave the boat, the object of our faith is able to sustain us through the deepest of waters. We must simply believe he's working when it's not obvious. And we must operate as if he keeps his promises and then we make our closeness with him our priority number one. And there are likely some in this room right now that are on the fence when it comes to faith. Your life expectations and God's plans couldn't be further apart. And what started out as 40-day faith has turned into weeks or months or even years Maybe there's a young mom in here and she's at the end of herself in child training just saying, this is never going to end. Maybe it's a person in your life you just can't handle and it's, they're not going anywhere. Or it's a sin in your life and it's obviously not going away without a fight. And listen, in whatever your trouble is, whatever your situation, you can respond by saying, get me off the boat. Or you can say, this isn't what I would have chosen God, you obviously have a bigger plan. 
So, Father, I believe you're working. And I'll operate as if your promises are true. And I will draw as close as I can to you because I need you right now more than I've ever needed you. My plans aren't perfect, but yours are. My understanding is limited, Father, but yours is not. And my way is never best, but yours always is. Friend, your view, view your time on the boat as God's perfect plan to turn you into what he wants you to be. He's trying to take you from someone who's only capable of 40-day faith and transform you into someone capable of 340-day faith or 40-month faith or 40-year faith or lifelong faith. And what you thought you were capable of here, if you'll just believe God and operate on his promises and stay as close as possible, what you started out as, as a 40-day faith kind of person, by the end of it, you will have lived your life with lifelong faith because you let him continue to work and you didn't say, get me out of here. When Noah walked off the boat, you have to believe his faith in God had never been stronger. After 40-day faith... Is possible, but it's not likely if you stop believing God is working. Or if you stop operating as if he'll keep his promises. Or if you withdraw instead of drawing near. But if you will follow Noah's example, you'll find this to be true. Some of the sweetest times with God are found after the hardest times on the boat. Some of the sweetest fellowship... Some of the most meaningful grace. Some of the most genuine communion and the strongest relationship and the best closeness, the most lasting faith. Not just 40-day faith. I mean, well after 40-day faith. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.